Welcome to Women's Hot Topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your host, Shug Burry. What happened if you say what you want to say? Hi, friends. Shaburi here. How are you doing? I had this impression on my heart that somebody needs to hear today what our topic is. And the reason you're here listening is it's a God appointment. There is no coincidence. God is in charge of all things. And have you ever wondered to yourself, where is God when you need him most? If God is intimately involved in our lives, why does he allow us to suffer sometimes in unimaginable ways? If God can intervene, why doesn't he always? I mean, really, I know y'all are thinking about that. Where is God when we need him most? Yet how do we process the intense suffering that's going on in our world? And, and ladies, you know, right now there is suffering going on in Israel and everywhere else. Why does it, God wait so long to intervene when corruption and injustice run rampant? Well, today I've got a special guest with me today who I love dearly, and I love every book she's ever written. Her name is Susie Larson. Perhaps you've heard of her or not, particularly if you're from Minnesota. She's a beloved uh, person in Minnesota with her radio show and her books. Let me tell you a little bit about her for those of you around the United States. Susie Larson is a best-selling author, national speaker, and host of a popular radio show, which I enjoy, Susie Larson Live a two-time finalist for the prestigious John C. Maxwell Transformational Leadership Award. Uh, people, that is huge. And I want you to know, I love John Maxwell. And that's huge that she's been on the finalist two times, not just once. Susie is the author of well over 20 books and devotionals and her daily blessings reach over a half a million people each week on social media. Her radio show is her daily on Faith Radio Network as well as around the world through her podcast, which has more than 3.5 million downloads. You guys, you think about that. Think about all the people that are getting impact by God's word through Susie. A popular media guest and guest host, Susie has frequently appeared on shows like Focus on the Family, Life Today, and Family Life Today, and Women's Hot Topics with Sugbury. In addition to her work and ministry, Susie loves to laugh and relax with her family, she and her husband, Kevin, have been married since 1985. Together, they have three wonderful and hilarious sons, three beautiful daughter-in-laws, and a growing bunch of delightful grandchildren, and one adorable brand new puppy that's living with them. And I, they used to have a pit bull named Memphis, which I loved Memphis. And it's always sad to see him go, but it's always good to get a little dude running around the house again. So Susie, welcome to our show. I'm so glad you're with us. So good to be back with you. Thanks for having me, friend. Yeah, I, I just love you immensely. Um, friends, this is going to be a packed show. And remind us, Susie, how many books have you written exactly? Um, well, I think the I think 23. I have to go back and count. So I've got a um <laughs> a, a teen version coming out of my prevail. Prevail is a 365-day devotional. And I've got a teen version coming out, I think next fall. And then I've got another one coming out in January. So I, it's 22, 23, something like that. So 
but I'm grateful. All glory to God, really all, all glory to God. When I think of what has happened to my, my brain with, you know, when I was young, two major concussions, then Lyme disease, and then mold toxicity, that these things have affected my brain in such a significant way, you know, that I can put words together and I can retain information to me is a miracle. So all glory to God for sure. Well, amen. He's used you powerfully. Okay. So well over 20 books, 23, I think you said, as I'm reading this book, I mean, you, your words are crafted so well. Mm. I love the way they blend together. I actually felt closer to God as soon as I started reading it. And it is called friends closer than your next breath. Where is God when you need him most? And Susie wrote this book in such a manner, in such a way that she uses illustrations from her own life, stories, both humorous and heartbreaking in her own life. And in the beginning, boom, she gets you right off the top with almost a lawyer inquiry of something that had happened in her past when she was young. Um, You guys got to pick it up. And, you know, my husband and I this morning were doing a Bible study um, out of the book of Luke, and we were reading about um, the lost sheep. Jesus goes and finds his lost sheep, meaning he's seeking after you. And as I'm reading this book, I'm talking to my husband about the book, and he said, you know what? We're singing to the choir here. You know, as believers, you know, it, it, yes, it renews our soul. Yes, we need to read these things. Yes, we dig deep with it. But we're singing to the choir. What we need to do is reach out like Jesus does to those lost sheep, friends. And this book does it. I really want you to pick up this book closer than your next breath. Where is God when you need him most? Hey, holidays are coming up. You can pick it up for Christmas, uh, any kind of gifts, birthday gifts. It's a wonderful book. And you guys know I don't just promote books to promote books. If it speaks to my heart, which I'm going to talk about as we're going through uh, visiting with Susie, um, it'll speak to yours as well. Like I told Susie, I'm kind of a tough nut to crack. (laughs) So Susie, all these books you wrote in your mind, how does it take blossom? When does it when do you think, oh, that's a good topic to t- talk about? How Tell us what this process looks like. That's a great question. You know, oftentimes when I'm in between books, in between contracts, um, I'm not like going to God for content because I don't never want to look at him as a means to an end. He's the beginning and the end. You know, he's the first and the last. And And I often say any gift from his hand Uh, pales in comparison to the treasure of knowing his heart. So I want to go to him first. I want to seek him first because of him, because I want to be with him. But through intimacy with God, it's just been my highest aim and my deepest, greatest goal, you know, um, my whole adult life through walking intimately with him. He does bring revelation to your soul. And I am an introvert. Uh, I, I joke that I could be a monk. And when I tell people that my hubby is like, well, hello, you, you're married. <laughs> you're not a monk. <laughs> but I mean, I really love solitude and deep reflection. Um, um, I just do. I've, I'm a total true to, to core introvert in that um, I get filled back up and just solitude and time with the Lord. And I'm a deep thinker. So I'm not, you know, like, I'll just say this, you know, like my hubby loves Bible reading plans. I can't do those. I've tried again and again and again, but it's like when I'm on a plan and you're on a deadline, it doesn't work for me because, you know, it's almost like a Christmas time. Some children open every gift. They go from one to the next to the next. Other children open one gift and they really don't care about the other gifts for now. I want to play with this gift right now. And that's how I go, you know, uh, after the word where there's times I'll set out to read a whole book of the Bible or several chapters. And he's arrested me on one passage. 
and I got to sit with it. And then I sit with it again the next day and I don't move on from it until the Lord's invited me to move on. And so just the way that I've conversed with God and walked intimately with him. It's in those places and spaces, all of a sudden a revelation will come or a thought will come. And one of the thoughts that came about this book was sometimes we chase the sensational and we miss the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not faulting people for chasing the sensational because, you know, there's no one like our God. I mean, that's why the psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, you know, in the house of God, than be a big deal anywhere else. One day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. So when we encounter God, and oftentimes it it may be at an event or in a setting that you try to recreate, because once you taste him, you want more of him. But when we do that and think there's only one way for me to meet with God, we rush right by the supernatural, chasing after the sensational. So, So I was thinking more about that um, and then even what good is his presence if you can't feel him? Because I've had seasons where the heavens seemed silent, where as much as I loved him, he wasn't speaking and I couldn't feel him viscerally or tangibly. And so I wanted to know what good is his presence if I can't feel him? And I answer that question in the book as well. And um, I think my goal and prayer for this book is to convince you that you're tethered to a really good God, you know, that his presence is your good, even when you can't feel him that his goodness is always in motion. And uh, if you literally could peel the sky back, you would see a father singing over you, smiling over you Mm. with a smile that goes up to his eyes. I mean, every thought (laughs) he has towards you is holy. And you would see him pointing to warring angels, activating them on assignment based on prayers you prayed some time ago. And he does allow us to go through silent seasons. And Shug, we can talk about even sometimes if it's our, is it ever our fault? I would say sometimes, yes, sometimes we are the cause of the silent season. But no matter what, you've got to know that his presence, his involvement is for your good, whether you can feel him or not. And I'll, I'll just wrap with saying this. If you've ever flown on a rainy day and you get in the plane and the, and the, you know, the plane rises above the clouds, you find that the sun is still very much in place. The blue sky is still very much there. And you, you know, you leave, uh, you head to the airport and before you walk on the tarmac, it's raining, it's sleeting, it's cold, especially in Minnesota. Um, and it feels like a crummy day, but the sky is blue above the clouds. The sun is warm <laughs> above the clouds in the very same way. God is always good. Even on the rainy days, the stormy days, he's up to good things in our life. Amen. And you know, I love that sensational comment that you made. A lot of people go to church because they're like, oh, it's a sensational event. It's the music. It's the, you know, whatever. But it's amazing how when I go to church, we'll pray a couple. I'm sorry. We'll sing a couple songs. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm praying. I don't even know how where that came. I mean, like we're worshiping and all of a sudden I've just stopped and I've just started praying in the middle of the worship songs. And that's what God does to us. And you also had an example in your book about two women coming into church, one who automatically started worshiping right away, felt the presence of the Lord. And the other ones in the back going, I don't want to stand up. I'm, I'm comfortable sitting down. And so it's just fun to see the different places that each of us is in. And it might be a particular day. It doesn't have to be every day you have that feeling. Um, You know, as I was reading your book, Susie, I paused and I just started to pray in the middle of one of your illustrations. Did you have that experience when you were writing? All of a sudden, God spoke to you. I mean, I know you're, you're feeding us, but did God speak to you through writing this book? Oh, again, another fantastic question. Yes, because I went into writing this uh, book 
in a season of feeling absolutely battered by the illness that I deal with, Lyme disease stuff and neurological issues. And I was in a season. I knew that I knew the contract. I had the contract. I knew the deadline was up ahead and the season heading into it was just brutal. And so I, I was army crawling. I was so exhausted. And you, know, you knew this, I wasn't sleeping. I was, you know, this stuff just deals affects my sleep in a very big way. So I was in a long stretch, many weeks in a row of a couple hours a night of sleep. And I'm on live radio every day. And when you're on live, you got to be sharp. And when you're not getting sleep, you're not sharp. So I was, I was entering into this project exhausted. And I, I literally, I didn't, I mean, this will be the first time I've said this out loud and I may regret it later. And my publisher doesn't know this. So they may hear it when they listen to your show, but I literally <laughs> toyed at the idea of giving the contract back which was, you know, my husband's standing, blocking the path going, you're not doing that. And I'm like, I'm too tired. I got nothing. The well is dry. And what I remember the little whisper of the Lord saying, well, let's put your theory to the test. Am I good? Even when you can't feel me, am I speaking even when you can't hear me? Mm -hmm. I mean, tell me, write down what you know to be true. If you don't feel me throughout this whole project, write down what you know to be true. And it was this practice of faith going, these are the things I know to be true. And there were times when I'm writing and administered to my heart. And that's why, you know, truly it's not a cliche and it's not false humility to, to say all glory to God. It is all glory. I mean, when I, when that book arrived on my doorstep, I wept, I held it to my heart. I wept. I'm just like, there's no way this could have happened if not for the manna every day. I mean, I, I literally, I mean, I may have to go to my publisher now and just say it's out there. Okay. I toyed <laughs> with the idea of saying, it got you, done. You, you can have this back. I, I can't do this. I, so to see the finished product and I love it. And, and what people are saying is it's a healing balm because they're reminded afresh of the consistency of God and the faithfulness of God and the love of God, whether you can feel them or not. But I also want to help, you know, uh, impart some wisdom on how to navigate the silent seasons, how to steward the times when he does break through. Because as I say in the book, when he intersects your story, you've got a decision to make. You've got a choice to make. Are you going to go face down? Or are you going to get rigid? and kind of rise up and not be teachable because I don't know about you, Shug, but I would say for me and what I read in scripture, oftentimes when God intersects, sometimes it's very comforting and it's revelatory and it's amazing. Other times and many times God is addressing issues of lordship, of identity, uh, where you need an upgrade in faith or a, there's a correction or a redirection or a conviction about something. Sometimes his voice as peaceful and beautiful as it is, it's calling us up and that, which means it confronts our smallness or our flesh and those kinds of things. So we do have a decision to make when God breaks through. And, but if we know he's good, we can respond to whatever he has to say to us. You know, I work with prisoners. I think you know that. And a lot of them, uh, we mentor them. We have a mentorship program, him for her mentoring friends, find us him for her.org online. Um, and we walk along women six months inside a prison and then two years post-release. This is the way I'm always thinking when I read your book. I'm reading it through the lens of women that are hurting, that have had tough circumstances, that felt God wasn't there. And you address that quite often in your book. Do, is God silent? Where is he in this? I love the title, Closer Than Your Next Breath. That's where Jesus is. What would you say to those friends? Hmm. I would say... Um... 
start to meditate on his goodness again, as hard as it is, because someone once said, you know, if tomorrow you woke up with only the things you thanked God for today, what would you have? And when we're hurting, it's easy. We don't even realize it, but when you're hurting, you can feel so entitled to your pain that you can get into ingratitude. And I always say ingratitude makes you spiritually blind. But when you are in those seasons of pain and you can find it somehow in your heart to go to find reasons to give thanks, it's not thanking him for the pain, but it's thanking him in the pain going, Lord, this is so painful. I hate this season. I want out of this season, but I can say, thank you for the morning sunrise. I, I'm telling you, there's something powerful and potent about remembering to give thanks. And another thing I'll say is, you know, I, I wanted to learn from the Israelites because they made a lot of mistakes. You know, that first generation didn't make it into the promised land. And then the Israelites were exiled to Babylon later on and because they made some mistakes. And I, I've just studied that because I'm like, I don't want to make those same mistakes because we're all prone to wander. We all, we all default to fear, doubt, discouragement. We don't default to faith, hope, and love. You have to really practice that posture. And they defaulted. You know, the, one of the first things the Israelites did, one of the biggest mistakes they made is they stopped listening to God. And you can only listen to one voice at a time. And, and scripture says when they turned away from God and weren't listening to him anymore, their hearts started to harden. And I found uh, a passage in the Amplified Translation that I feel like is maybe really good advice for them because it's been really good advice for me. It's Psalm 106, verse 7 in the Amplified. And it says that, that our fathers, talking about the Israelites, that first generation, didn't do these three things. They didn't remember or appreciate the significance of God's miracles. They no longer marveled at his mercies and they didn't, they forgot to imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. Now let's just break those down a little bit. And, and my whole goal and prayer is that this book and the one that follows helps us do that because that way, whether the storms come or the sun is shining, whether you're on a mountain or in a valley, you're, you're not as shaken by the elements because you're grounded in the things of God. So let's talk about the miracles. They were front row seats of miracles. Think about this. Their cry reached God's ears when they were in backbreaking slavery. Scripture describes that slavery in Egypt as oppressive, ruthless. Uh, the intent was to break them down by wearing them down. It was horrific, the backbreaking slavery that they were under. They cried out to God. God answered their prayer by mobilizing Moses to come and deliver them. But Moses himself had his own identity issues. I, who am I? I can't do this. And he was, while he was obsessing about all his deficiencies, God never addressed the deficiencies. He says, I am like, I'm going to use you. I know what I'm doing, but I am that I am. Mm -hmm. he, he positioned Moses to use him. And this is what's so amazing about the big story of God is that your story is never about your story. If you step into the fullness of what God wants to do, the healing that will spring through, spring forth in you will spring forth through you. So Moses is used by God. And I want you to think about these Israelites. Their cry reached God's ears. He answers by sending Moses. Scripture says that the Egyptians loaded them down with the wealth of Egypt. So and the scripture also says not a feeble one was among them. How is that even possible? As a former fitness professional, I was in fitness for 12 years and I, there's no way with the, the, the brutal slavery that they were under, there's no way that there weren't parasites, herniated discs, plantar fasciitis, you know, um, degenerative disc diseases. There, you know, you think of all the oppressive nature of, of their lifestyle. There's no way 
that all of these people left healed. And what I believe in my layman's belief, as I study scripture, is while the angel of death was passing through Egypt, the spirit of life was passing through the homes that were under the blood, that God was setting them up because the scripture says they left Egypt like an army ready for battle. They left with the riches and wealth of Egypt, not a feeble one among them. And then God parted the sea. They had just, they were privy to so many miracles, but what did they do? They, they shrugged them off so quickly forgot about the miracles of God. So that when Moses was up on the mountain receiving commandments from the Lord, they got so impatient waiting for him. So entitled to their next miracle or whatever it was that they diminished him and said, who, we don't know what's become of this fellow Moses. I mean, this fellow, this man who risked his life to deliver you, but that they had to diminish him so they could justify their next choices, which they gathered the jewelry together. They made an idol. I mean, how quickly they forgot God and his provision. And, and that was a massive mistake. Then you look at Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute. And she said, when the spies came, I know God's giving you this land. I know it. And that the miracle that she brought up likely happened before she was even born. I mean, it, I mean, it, she was, so it was enough for her though. The parting of the Red Sea was enough for her to go. I'm going to disentangle from my people to follow a God I barely know because I believe he's the one true God. That miracle was enough for me. And little did she know that she would be grafted into the lineage of Christ. So if you're in between miracles, reach back into biblical history, bring that miracle to the forefront, you know, mm -hmm. or into your story. There are miracles in your own story. We can get so entitled and be such people of the moment that even in hardship, if we could fall into entitlement or self-pity, it's parasitical. It's like, it's like you're engaging with a parasite. But if you can say in this place, he's still the same God. I'm in between miracles. So I'm going to reach back, pull this one out, bring it in front of me, go, he is the same God. If you see a miracle in scripture where a daughter is healed or a woman is healed from the issue of blood or the dead young man is raised from the dead, you say, this is my miracle for now because he's the same God. They didn't do that. I want to do that. The second thing is they stopped marveling at his mercies. But in Lamentations, it said it's because of the Lord's great love we're not consumed. It's not because we're so great that we're not consumed. It's because of his love, that his mercies are new every morning, which means he sends new mercies to your door before you even know you need them, before you even have a chance to blow it. He Hallelujah. doesn't punish us. Amen. And he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. I mean, how many things have you spoken out of turn that you didn't get in trouble for? And I'm not saying your sin doesn't matter, but he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. He's, he's poured out such mercy on us that should communicate to us that he's intent on getting us safely home. We should be perpetually in awe of his mercies. And then thirdly, um, and this is what that next devotional that's coming out in January is about, is they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. And, you know, because they couldn't reconcile God's love when they were slaves, they couldn't comprehend his goodness when they walked free. So they still had captivity and slavery so baked into their DNA that even though they were walking free, they were living like they were captive and they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their heart. And that's when I so relate to, um, because eight years ago, I had a really horrid 
health relapse that, you know, chronic Lyme has been an issue and I'm healing more than I've ever been before. I am more healed than I've ever been before. I want to testify to that, but people with deal who deal with chronic Lyme apparently can't always process mold. And I'd had uh, unknowingly been exposed repeatedly to black mold, which attacked my brain. And so it was affecting my cognitive issues. I mean, affecting me cognitively. I couldn't spell like I was writing a book. I don't think it was like book number 18, I think, but I couldn't remember how to spell basic words. I would be on the air and I couldn't find my words and I was putting the wrong words in my sentences. I mean, my tongue was going numb. My whole head was going numb, terrifying, terrifying. And a friend had said to me lovingly, you're living bracing for impact. And I, I knew I was because I, and it's like, I didn't, I didn't translate that to mean a distrust of God. I just thought this is the natural result of an unpredictable disease. But no, as I spent time with God, there was disappointment in my heart toward him. There was hurt. I still got up every morning, spent time in the word, worshiped him, loved him, served him. I mean, where am I going to go? But if I'm honest, deep inside that I was hurt that he allowed this. And these surges of symptoms were so terrifying that I was bracing for impact. I was waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I'm so glad, Shug, that that happened before all the COVID, all the civil unrest happened. That happened years before that for me because it gave me a chance to start to imprint his loving kindness, to move out of bracing for impact into a position of anticipating his goodness. And we've all been through a lot of stuff. And I think the world is bracing for impact. You don't default to postures of faith, hope, and love. You default to self-pity, to fear, doubt, and discouragement. And you have to practice imprinting his loving kindness on your heart. And when that friend addressed that gently, lovingly, but she was right, she said, Susie, when you think about God, your default response, your instinctive thought should be only goodness and mercy, only goodness and mercy follow me. She goes, if that's not your default instinctive thought when you think about God, then something in you needs to be healed and something in you is out of alignment. And I think- Let's pause on that for just a second, Susie, because you mentioned that in the book as well, and it was so powerful. And and what you're saying is to live life with expectancy, to every day expect God to do great things. Good mercy is going to follow you. Um, And if you don't look at life that way, you're telling us, which I agree with, that you need some healing. How do people go about finding healing for that? Well, I, exactly as I'm saying, I, I'm feeling like, you know, the Psalm 106 verse seven in the Amplified might be a roadmap forward for many because you don't realize when you've been walking through a lot of hard things and overlapping crises, you will start bracing for impact. You will dismiss his miracles. You'll kind of shrug aside his mercies because you're just trying to make it, you know, you're just army crawling, but it really is through redemptive perspectives that bring healing. You're transformed by changing the way you think. So I would do exactly what I'm saying. I mean, really um, start pondering and meditating on the miracles of God. I mean, Mm -hmm. let me just reference here. Psalm 145, great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness, but let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let us proclaim his power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor. When you're hurting, that seems not 
like a natural thing to do, but do it anyway. Meditate on his majesty and his power and his wonderful miracles. That's what it says. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. God is so magnificent, so miraculous. I mean, the mercies he pours out on us every day, the lengths he goes to show us his creativity in a butterfly, in a belly laugh, in the birth of a new baby, in the underwater world. I mean, he so lavishes beauty and kindness and love on us that we should be perpetually in awe. And it says every your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. That's what it should be. It's not what it is right now. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Listen to this. The Lord is merciful, compassionate, slow to angry, filled with unfailing love. He's good to everyone. He's good to every single person who's watching. Every single person has a reason to give thanks to Almighty God. And we lose sight of that when we hurt. And the enemy, you and I talked about this, I think, last time we were on, on together when we were talking about strong in battle, where I said, every day we're given the opportunity to either accuse God or trust God. And the enemy is trying constantly to bait us into building a case against God to accuse him of things for which the enemy is guilty of. So hang out in Psalm 145 because he's good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation and says, all of your works will thank you, God. All of us, your faithful flowers will praise you. Now listen to this. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. We will give tangible examples of your power. Do you, is your Christianity powerless? If so, find out why, because God wants us to have examples of his power on our tongue to say, let me tell you what God has done. And if you're in between miracles, grab one from scripture, grab one from your history and start testifying. I'm still giving you examples of his power. I may be in a not yet, but it does not make me a have not. There are no have nots in the kingdom of God. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They'll give examples of your power. They will tell of your mighty deeds about the majesty and the glory of your reign. Listen to this. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord is always, he's always, keep, I'm sorry. The Lord always keeps his promises, gracious and all he does. The Lord helps the fallen. He lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope and you give them food when they need it. You open your hand and satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. So mm -hmm. I would say that. I would say to imprint his loving kindness on your heart, meditate on his miracles. I would say, hang out in Psalm 145 and start to practice what it's saying. Start telling people, even if you're walking through a tough time, if you've walked with God any length of time, you have a history with him, which means you have testimonies about him. Somebody's worse off than you. Find them and say, let me tell you what God has done for me. Because something literally activates in your spirit when you start to speak out the, the truth about who God is Amen. and the truth in your story. So yeah. give examples of his miracles and then marvel at his mercies. Just, you know, I've spent whole prayer times thanking God for what hasn't happened in my life. You know, all the things he's prevented, you know, not only for what he's provided, but all the things that haven't happened. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see his mercy in that. And then as I'm imprinting his loving kindness on my heart, I'm well able to discern the enemy's ploys. I can tell when the enemy is trying to bait me into mm -hmm. a trap of accusing God. And you can't do that if you're not thinking about God in the right way. And, you know, speaking of that, too, that's what I really enjoyed about the book is that you had some bullet lists for people to know, is it an attack or is it a test? And then what the two comparisons look like, 
I would pick up the book just for that. It's such a good uh, analogy. And then also you talked about ways to praise or how to pray expectantly. And you had a list of that as well toward the end. Um, you know, I love that you said you reach back at the miracle, the last miracle, the promises God's given you and look forward expectantly to the next. And there is something that your nephew said that I would like to mention and bring up. In the book, you said, my nephew Noah came close because you were talking about the Lyme disease and hurting. And he came close, put his hand on my shoulder. These are your words and prayed. Thank you, Lord. I believe you have a plan for Susie. Get this friends to cross over from a ministry of trial to a ministry of triumph. And that just poked my heart. I'm reading it outside in this beautiful weather. And all of a sudden I go, amen, hallelujah, this is going to happen. I feel it, Susie. Yeah. And isn't it amazing how God uses other people mm. to speak to your heart? How did you feel after you heard him? Well, I that? described that story because the, the surges of symptoms were so terrifying. I mean, and that was after a full night of pacing the floor down here. So I wouldn't wake up my husband, but the symptoms were stroke-like where my heart started to beat out, out of rhythm, just boom, 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 every which way, numbing, shooting up my neck and into my jaw, my tongue going numb, bone crushing headaches, blurred vision, ringing in the ears. I have loud ringing in my ears all the time on a scale of one to 10, it's a 10. But at that point it was like an 18. So it was like a piercing screwdriver pain in my ear. I'm pacing this floor, trying to get my heart rate to settle down, taking deep breaths, trying to get my body to settle down. And I literally did say, God, you have to kill me or heal me. I do not have the mental bandwidth to keep on this way. That next morning was Easter. I hadn't slept all night. And my my sister and her husband and one of my sons and his wife were coming for a small Easter brunch. And they came in expecting to see food. And I'm sitting at the counter with my face in my arms, mm -hmm. weeping, guttural sobbing, going, I can't do this anymore. And it was in that context that the Lord spoke that through Noah. And it quickened in my spirit because what he didn't know is God had shown me that and shown spoken that to me in other ways prior to that moment and confirmed it after that. And I'll tell you, Shug, I am there. There has been a shift in the last month that has been so significant. We're in awe. And I can't ex explain it except that God is doing it. And it reminds me of a quote that Craig Rochelle said last time he was on my show. He said, Susie, when it's not God's time, you can't force it. But when it is God's time, you can't stop it. Yeah. And uh, But he's so faithful. He's so worth praising and so worth remembering. And uh, he's, he's your faithful, faithful father. So you can trust him. You know, the book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, friends, you need to pick up, not only for yourself, but maybe for others as a gift, um, maybe your kids. I, as I was reading this, I'm thinking, man, this would be an awesome study to do with your children, uh, to talk about the presence of God and how to get in his presence. Because as the world's a little crazy out there, upside down, what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right, we need to have established a foundation for our families and for our kids. I'm going to end on this note. You had written something about your boys and the trials, the ups and downs we have as parents. And you had told them, and I hope I say this correctly, that when you open the word of God, you are opening God's mouth. And that spoke to me in such a powerful way. I sent it to my kids this morning. I said, this is a woman I'm interviewing today. And I love this mm -hmm. quote, and I hope it speaks to you as well. 
I don't think, Susie, as believers, we understand the power when we open scripture that's available to us. It just lifts off the pages when we open it. Mm -hmm. And so I praise God and praise you for being obedient during the difficult, terrible, tough times to write this book. Can you uh, share with us a little bit before we part about uh, the second book, Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness? I believe it's an addendum to this study. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, they can stand alone for sure, but it's a springboard uh, to this next book. It's a 40-day devotional, and it's all about retraining your heart and your mind to move from bracing for impact to anticipating God's goodness. So there's just short readings. There's something called brain retrain where it's a brain statement and a faith declaration. So the Devo just takes a short time to read, but, but the practice is what I'm asking from you. If there's a faith declaration statement, one that especially stands out to you, speak it over your life. You know, one of them is the cross is the cross has spoken. The curse is broken. Jesus has set me free. I just tried to write a few of these declarations throughout the book where you just grab the ones that are speaking to you and start speaking it over your life. And my hope and prayer is by the time you've made that journey, you are shifted to a place of where you're smiling again, where you're like, I know my father's got this, you know? And uh, Jamie Winship is a guest I've had regularly on my show. He's amazing. He's rocking my world on issues of identity in Christ. But he asks the question, um, how, what, how, what would my life look like if, if I didn't ever fear another thing again? I think that's how he worded it. Well, how would I live my life if I no longer feared what would happen to me? And, uh, I, I feel like as we, the more that we anticipate God's goodness, and it's not to say hard things don't happen, but he's not an absent-minded father. He doesn't look the other way and forget where we live. If we can be all in where we dare to trust him and engage with his goodness, we will trust that whatever he allows, he redeems. And uh, so much of the things we fear never materialize anyways. And this is, this is a, a pretty uncertain time. But God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. And he knows who his children are. And he does treat his children differently. And you may think otherwise, but scripture tells us very clearly that his eye is on us. He's singing over us. And anything that he allows, he redeems in our life. You know, you brought up a good point as we close, friends. I want you to know, in order to become a child of God, he is calling out to you. Just like that lost sheep I mentioned earlier. He is asking you to invite him into your life. And if you've never done that before, it's impossible to have a relationship with a God that you have not invited into your heart. And so today would be the day. Let's do it. What are you waiting for? I know that you, you're listening to this. You're, you're feeling the power from it, but you don't feel the power in you. And all that takes is your invitation, not my words, but your words. And it might go something like this. Father, forgive me for I am a sinner. I need you. Forgive me from turning my back on you all these years. Today, I invite you into my heart. Today, I invite you to lead my life. I know that you died for my sins and you rose in victory. And I want to live in that victory with you. Help me to do this. May I rise up and understand the power that you will give me to live victorious in my life as I follow you. May I humble myself to you and trust in all things that you have done for me. And may we breathe in your presence and spend time with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Beautiful. If you said that prayer for the first time, friends, you better let us know. In fact, scripture says you should tell others. That's where the power is. As Susie had mentioned, we got to share our faith, share our testimony, what's going on in our life. You don't have to be a big biblical scholar. You just got to be a regular person who has fallen in love with Jesus. Susie Larson, we are so blessed by your presence. I hope you come back again. Thank you for writing this book. Friends, you got to pick it up. Closer than your next breath. Where is God when you need him most? And you can go to suzylarson.com, find her books, look her up, contact her. Again, thank you, Susie. Honored. Hope to talk with you again, friend. We'll see you soon. To the rest of you, this is Shug Burry. You know I love you. Over and out. Hey, friends, I hope you enjoyed the show. I can't believe you found us in the myriad of podcasts that are out there. Could you please do us a favor here at Women's Hot Topics with Shugbury? Could you please like, subscribe, write a review? Hopefully it's going to be a positive one. And we have got some great shows coming up. Why do you have to do this? Is because it lifts us up out of the myriad of podcasts to the top. And that's where God is. And that's where I want to be. This is Shugbury. You know I love you. Over and out.